So as we dive into the word this morning, um, our scripture passage this morning is found in the book of Matthew. If you have your Bible, you have your app on your phone, all that, I encourage you to turn there. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I invite you to turn there now. We're continuing our series we kicked off last week. We're calling the series Supernatural, Rediscovering Our Spiritual World. Um, in our lives, there are so many things that take up so much of our attention. There are our jobs and our families and our friendships. And we've got dinner to make and kids to clean up after. And we've got to clean the house. We've got to find a vacation. Uh, we've got to do all the things that make up our lives. Um, and then we've got to find that extracurricular hobby along the way to you know, bring us some joy along the way as well. We're busy, busy people. And then if you zoom out a little bit, there's this other story that we're a part of as well. We have our own personal stories, our families, our local communities. Then there's like the global world in politics and all that stuff going on as well. There's the next presidential election that's coming up. Dun, dun, dun. We're all excited. Um, there are economic battles between other nations that are happening. There's recessions going on. There is coronavirus and earthquakes and hurricanes. It's just really an exciting time to be alive, I think. Um, that's a joke. And it takes up so much of our attention, doesn't it? Our own lives. And then all the bigger stuff that's going on in the world, it's very distracting to us. And you see, in this series, we wanted to ask a much needed and frankly fundamental question for us. The question is, what if in all that stuff, there's more going on in the world than meets the eye? Like what if? What if with nations and wars and economies and all that level stuff, there's more going on than meets the eye? What if the stuff of our lives, our jobs and marriages and kids and vacations and all that stuff, what if in that there's more going on than meets the eye? And it's that way more going on than meets the eye stuff that we wanted to address in this series. Um, last week, Pastor Chuck kicked off our series with a passage from uh, the letter to the Ephesians. And I wanted to revisit one verse from that one more time because I think it really sums up the series that we wanted to get after. It's Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 12. It'll be on the screen. Listen to this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities. Listen to this. Against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The Apostle Paul says there is more going on in this world than initially meets the eye. And in the series, what we wanted to do is somehow take the blinders off of ourselves so we can see that other stuff that's going on. And so uh, this week... We thought we'd go big. We're, bat we're batting big this morning. And we thought we would uh, talk about the devil. And all the energy just left the room that fast. It's exciting. We're going to talk about the devil this morning. And what's going on with the devil? Uh, Pastor Chuck said this uh, several months ago. He said, the devil? Uh, what's his problem? <laughs> and I love that. I think it's great. So our scripture reading this morning is Matthew chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 1. And our scripture reader this morning is Dean Damore. Dean, wherever you're at, you can head on up when you're ready to read for us. In church, what we do here when we read scripture together is we stand up 
if you're able to, and we face the center of the room, we all face the center of the room, we have privilege to what's happening there, it's because this book is being read, this book matters, it takes priority in our lives. So Dean, when you're ready, take it away. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are... If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on, the, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan! For it is written, Worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Thank you, Dean. You all may take a seat. So what do you believe about the devil? What do you believe about the devil? Um, for those of us in this room and for those of us that are streaming in this morning, I bet if we were to do a poll, we would discover that there is unlimited amounts of understandings of just who the devil is and what the devil is up to in our world. Um, some of us may think that the devil is this red demon being with horns on his head and he's got that little demon tail on his booty. You know what I'm talking about. He's got the whole thing, the pitchfork in his hand. Might be like this picture here that's going to pop up on the screen. Might be something like that. Might be when we think of the devil, we think of something like that. Um, others of us may not have a picture of what the devil actually looks like, but we do have a story of what the devil might be up to. Um, some of us in this room and online may believe that the devil is a being that is in a cosmic toe-to-toe fight with God, right? And the story goes that there's been this cosmic war that's gone on since the beginning of time. It's God on one side, the devil on the other, and they have done battle. It's been this, this struggle for an eternity at some sense. And for some of us might believe, we might believe that actually on both sides of that fight, it's fairly equally matched, and so it kind of goes back and forth as history continues to move forward. And for others of us, we might think the, the origin of the devil was, well, maybe he was an archangel of the Lord, and he fell, and he was cast out of heaven. He took a bunch of angels with him. They turned into demons. He turned into the devil, and he's currently ruling this world and is at war with God. And then there's others of us. When we think about the devil and demons and all that stuff, we question, like, is that stuff even real at all? Like, is the devil even a thing in this world at all? Or is it something else? Now, 
most Americans today, um, 70% of Americans today believe in the devil. 70% of Americans today. What I think is really interesting is 50 years ago, they did a survey that looked like the 70% survey. 50 years ago, they polled Americans. They said, do you believe in the devil? And the response was 55% of Americans 50 years ago believed in the devil. Today, 70%, which is really interesting because as participation in religious stuff has declined and belief in God has kind of begun to plateau and go down, belief in the devil has only gone up, which is interesting, I think. So there's all kinds of different beliefs about the devil and demons in our world today. And so, so as we talk about all of this stuff, as we talk about the devil and who the devil is and what the devil is up to and all that stuff, I encourage you, there's all kinds of stuff in our culture that we take and we assimilate into our belief about what we think the devil is. And I challenge you as we talk about this, take all of your beliefs about the devil and put it on a shelf so that we can turn to these words and take the authority of these words to truly know what in the world is this devil thing and what is he all about. I challenge you to do that. Now, in the Bible, the devil is referred to in many, many, many different ways. In fact, there's a verse in the letter um, of Revelation that gives us a glimpse of just the vastness of how people have talked about the devil, all the names of the devil. Um, Revelation 20, verse 2. It'll be on the screen here. We'll be jumping around a lot this morning. Revelation 20, verse 2 is a great passage for this. It says, He sees the dragon. That's a name for the devil right there. He sees the dragon. That ancient serpent... There's two names for the devil. Who is the devil? Again, three names for the devil. Or Satan. That's four names for the devil. And bound him for a thousand years. The devil is a dragon, an ancient serpent, a devil, or a Satan, according to Revelation 20. Now, in, in this passage, Revelation 20, verse 2, one of those names is that ancient serpent, that ancient serpent. Now that name, ancient serpent, is a name that harkens way back in the scriptures all the way to the beginning of the Bible. The first place that the devil makes an appearance in the scriptures is in the book of Genesis. Um, in chapter 3, that's the story of the fall. We have the story of the fall. It's the story of Adam and Eve, and there's a forbidden tree in a garden, and it's there that he makes his first appearance, and he shows up in the form of a, you guys got it, good job. We've got this today. Now, I want to put some of, some of the scripture on the screen here. Take a look at this. This is from Genesis. This is the first exposure that we get to of the devil in the Bible, and we learn a couple things about the devil along the way. Listen to this. The serpent said to the woman, did God really say, did God really say, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die. You'll certainly not die, 
the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The very first words in the scriptures that the devil speaks tells us a lot about who in the world this devil character is. The devil here is blatantly lying to Eve, right? Blatantly lying to Eve. But he's not just lying to Eve. He's also tempting Eve all at the same time. You will certainly not die. That is a bold-faced lie. And then he follows that up with a, an alluring temptation. Hey, Eve, if you do this thing that you're not supposed to do, you will be a god yourself. Don't you want that? You should do it. You know you do. And so here, we get two major pieces of information, of, of information about the devil. The devil is a liar, and the devil is a tempter. Now, the name in the scriptures used for the devil most often is the name Satan. Satan. And the first time that that name shows up as a person in the scriptures is all the way in the book of First Chronicles. Um, First Chronicles chapter 21. We learn a lot about the devil in this passage. It'll be on the screen here for you this morning. And listen to First Chronicles 21. Listen to this. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan. Then report back to me so that I may know how many there are. Satan incites David. Incites David. That, it's a peculiar word. Incite is. To incite something is to act in such a way that a feeling arises in another person and then that person actually begins to act upon the feeling that arises up within them. To incite. Satan incited David to take a census. Now, now just think about this a second. David, the superstar of the Old Testament, right? Right? David, the scriptures say he's the man after God's own heart. Like, that's a pretty high title, I would say. David, he's the greatest king in the history of Israel, and we still think so in so many ways today. David, the man, the myth, the legend. Satan is able to incite David, and then what does David do? Well, he goes with it, doesn't he? He goes with it. Look, if, if you think, like, man, we're talking about Satan. Like, Satan is way far from me. Like, I've got this. I'm on the right side of all this stuff. I've got my life in order. You're making a claim that you are better than King David, okay? There's no way we're above that. David fell to the allure of Satan. Satan is an inciter in the scriptures, 
Satan is an insider in our world right now. He does it all the time. Another way to say that would be that Satan is a master of emotional manipulation. He can go right down into the heartstrings and get you to do all kinds of things that you might not normally do. Now, First Chronicles chooses to call the devil Satan, or the Satan is often how it's put in the Bible. In the Bible, the word for Satan is a really common word. It's, it's used often, actually. It's used, obviously, as a name for Satan, for the devil, Satan. But it's also, and more commonly used, as a verb. Uh, many times in the Bible, there will be a person or a figure or an angel or something like that, and that figure or person or angel will actually Satan another person in the story. Um, in the book of Numbers, there's actually a story where an angel does just that. In Numbers uh, chapter 22, verse 22, it'll be on the screen, it says, but God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to what? Oppose him. The word there, oppose, is the exact same word as Satan. Okay? Now the best translation of the word Satan, or most common one at least, would be adversary. Adversary. You see, this is exactly who Satan is. Satan is one who is an adversary to others. Satan opposes other people. Satan's primary character trait in our world, which is why we named Satan Satan in the first place, is because he was an opposer. He opposes other people. He does that really well, too. So if we were to take a look at Satan's rap sheet, right? Like, who, what are all his crimes in the scriptures, well, his four probably most common ones would be Satan is a liar. Satan is one who tempts. Satan incites. He's an inciter. And Satan is one who opposes. He's an imposer. Now, in our scripture reading this morning... Satan does all of those things in a very short amount of time to Jesus. All of them. He lies to Jesus. He tempts Jesus. He incites Jesus. And he opposes Jesus. And it's in this instance where Jesus is in the wilderness and Satan happens to be there, but th that the scriptures actually pull back the curtains on what is this Satan character all about in the first place? Like what in the world is Satan after? Now, in our scripture reading, the first thing Satan does um, while Jesus in, is in the wilderness is Satan tempts him. So Jesus is hungry. And after fasting for a really long time, he's like really hungry, right? And everything in Jesus is like, man, I could so go for a cheeseburger right now. That sounds incredible. Like I really would like to eat that, but I can't because I'm fasting right now. And so Satan shows up on the scene. He's like, man, Jesus, you, you look hungry. You look like you could eat. Like, can you smell that? I think there's somebody cooking a couple blocks away. Like, you look hungry. You know, if you say you are who you say you are, you know what you could do, Jesus, Satan says, is you see those stones over there? Just turn those stones into bread and you could eat and you'd be good to go. Satan here is tempting Jesus to walk off track of why the Spirit led him in the wilderness in the first place. He was going to walk away from the Spirit if he listened to Satan. And Jesus resists. 
He says that man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So you know, Satan's probably a little frustrated by that. Like, man, like you got me on that one. So, so Satan comes back. I'm going to take another pass, Satan says. And so he comes to Jesus again, and he employs his second favorite tool, which is lying. So he starts lying to Jesus. Takes Jesus to a high place and says, hey, Jesus, um, if you jump off of this place, the angels will come, and they will actually catch you and save you. So you should do that. Like, it'd be a great moment, don't you think? Jesus. And here Satan blatantly lies about what the scriptures are actually trying to say. Totally lies. And Jesus resists and uses scripture to put Satan in his place. Do not put the Lord your God to the test, Jesus says. And so Satan, he's probably really frustrated at this point, right? Like, man, I got to get this guy. So he's going all in on the next one. Satan moves to his third and final tactic. And it's here that the curtain is pulled back and we see what Satan's true motivation in this world is all about. If you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 8, and just listen to this exchange here. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Jesus is taken to this very high mountain and he looks around and he sees villages and cities and nations. All this stuff, right? All this I will give you, Satan says. All you have to do, well, is just bow down to me. It's yours. And here... Satan attempts to incite Jesus, to manipulate Jesus in the exact same way he manipulated Adam and Eve in the garden. You know you want power, Jesus. I can give you that. Even though you're disobeying your father, it's whatever. Like I, I can take care of you here. And again, Jesus resists. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only, Jesus says. Now, folks, here's the thing about Satan. It's true for us, and it's true of every moment in this book that he shows up. Satan's goal is not to get Jesus to slip up. That's not the goal of Satan. Satan's goal in our lives is not to get us to slip up and to make a bad decision or to make a mistake or something we would regret. That's not what Satan's all about. Satan is not some kind of spiritual trickster that's kind of hopping around doing a bunch of horrible things to a bunch of people. Satan's ultimate goal in this world is abundant power and control over this world. That's what Satan is after, after. Satan's problem in this world and his problem is with us and his problem is with Jesus and his problem is with God the Father is that Satan wants all the power and control in this world. Satan doesn't want God to be God. Satan doesn't want you or I to be God. Satan wants to be the God of this world. And he'll do whatever he can to accomplish that goal. He will lie and deceive, and cheat, and incite rage, and create mistrust, and seduce us so that he can have that power and control in the world. And here's the deal, folks. Satan is amazing 
at doing that. Unbelievably effective. He's amazing at doing that. You know, right now, if we're paying close attention to what's happening in our own lives and in our city and our nation and the world, if you look closely enough, you will see Satan's rap sheet everywhere you look. It's hard to miss once you start seeing it. I mean, think about this. Satan, he is the great opposer, right? He's great at opposing. It's literally what Satan means. And what is our country filled with these days? You know? Well, opposition, right? We might use the word polarization. It's the same thing. Opposition to one another. Everything in our country right now is so polarized. Pandemics are polarized. News sources are polarized. I mean, even where we choose to shop is polarized. There was a big fight nationally about Chick-fil-A and Popeyes. Have you, did you see this in the news? And you have to pick one because they're enemies somehow. They're chicken makers, but they're enemies, right? It's polarization. It's opposition. Opposition is everywhere in our world that we look these days. Satan, he's known as a great liar, right? The opposite of lie of a lie is what? What's the opposite of a lie? The truth, right? The truth. And what seems to be a rare commodity these days in our country? What is it? It's the truth, isn't it? We don't know what to believe about anything or who to trust about any of it at all. It seems like everyone is either lying or bending the truth, and the truth seems scarce. Like, what are we supposed to believe about the coronavirus, for real? Like, what's the truth there? Does anyone have it? They got their finger on the truth. They've got it down. I don't know. Who's the authority? Who are you reading? What's your news source? I don't know. What are we supposed to believe about our political figures? Like, what are we supposed to believe about that? Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's evil? Who's good? Like, how are we supposed to know that? Because the truth seems so unbelievably elusive these days. I mean, on the Perrine Bridge, I run past it several times a week, there is a sticker that says, birds birds aren't real, or something like that. Has anyone seen that sticker? Birds aren't real. And my kids, they searched up, what in the world does that sticker mean? Did you know that there's a giant conspiracy theory in our country about birds? That birds are actually government robotic drones that are here to keep tabs on us. And people actually believe it as the truth. You see, like, I want to believe that, by the way. I just wish that was true, but I can't do it. The truth is elusive these days. Folks, Satan... He is the father of lies. And he rejoices when the truth becomes elusive. When you can't quite put your finger on it. Like, what is the truth here? When when we're opposed to each other, Satan rejoices in all of that. When the truth is blurry, he says, amen to that. Satan, he's also the great tempter, right? Right? He's a tempter. Temptation is what happens when we want something that we know is wrong and and we fall into just the right circumstance where we could actually pull the trigger on that thing. And in those moments, what we do is we create all kinds of justifications and rationalizations for why it's okay that we do that thing that we know that we're not supposed to do. Like that's what temptation 
does. Um, people cheat on their spouses all the time in the whole while they convince themselves that it's okay because dot, dot, dot. You don't know my spouse. Like, you don't know how horrible it is to live with them. Like I can do this. It's okay because they're so bad, right? People treat their employees poorly today while convincing themselves that it's okay. And they've got a long litany of reasons why that's okay. They're not educated. They don't work as hard as I do. It's just business. I can do what I want with my business. It's okay because I own the business. Teachers, you see teenagers all the time cyberbullying their fellow classmates. It's a massive, like, epidemic sort of in our culture. And teenagers do that. They just are ruthless to other kids over the internet. And they have a long list of reasons why it's okay that they do that. You don't understand, mom and dad. They're so bad. Like, they're awful people. I need to do that to, like, make justice here. We say unbelievably cruel and inhumane things to people that are on the so-called other side of the political spectrum all the time. Like, they're dumb, they're bad, they're wrong, they're small-minded, they're horrible people. And we justify all of that, right? Like, it's okay that I say those things because it's true. Like, I'm allowed to do that. Folks, Satan is filled with joy when we're there. That's exactly what he wants for us. It's exactly what he wants. Satan's the inciter, too. He incites all kinds of things. There's those emotions that he puts the, the, the strings on and just plays like a harp, right? He incites rage in us, in our society. He's inciting racial hostility in our country right now. There are cities that are bearing the scars from that right now. Did you know that child abuse in homes right now through all of this pandemic stuff is on the rise. It's all Satan. It's what it is. He's inciting anger and then bad things are happening to kids that don't deserve it. Satan's inciting us to trust and follow our emotions, right? We should trust and follow those. Like you feel that? Like let's stoke those fires and then, and then go. Like go with it. We get so angry about politics today that it blinds us to everything else. And that's exactly where Satan wants us, by the way. It's exactly where he wants us. We feel a certain way about our bodies, right? We feel a certain way about our gender or our sexual preference or whatever it may be. We feel this certain way and Satan says, run with it, run with it. That's okay, that's what you need to do. And then, well, we do. We feel a certain way about that person that has that color skin or that person from south of the border or, or whatever it may be, that woman or that man or that person or that gender orientation, and we just slam those people, right? We do, and we're full of anger because of that. And, well, man, Satan. Amen, Satan saying to us. Satan is unbelievably good at inciting all kinds of things in our world today. Folks, Satan is alive and well in this world and he is pulling all kinds of strings behind the scenes. He is. We just have to pay attention to it. We have to. And, and if you think you're like, dude, like I'm, like I'm a Christian, 
I'm a good guy. I followed Jesus. I try to do the right thing every single day. Like, I'm good. Like, I'm, I don't have to worry about that in my life. You are fooling yourself if you believe that's true. We are all used by Satan a whole lot more than we'd like to believe, aren't we? So what do we do with that reality? Like, if the state of our lives in the world is truly like that corrupted by the devil, like, what do we do? Do we do battle with him? Do we try to fight him? Are we going to arm up and like, let's take this guy down? Like, we got this, right? We defeat him? Some of us are like, no, like we go into our closet and then we like hide in the corner in our closet, put our fingers in our ears and hum a happy song. Like that's what you do when you're scared like that. What do we do? Well, we do exactly what Jesus did in the wilderness. That's what we do. We turn to the scriptures. Every single time, that Jesus replies to Satan in our scripture reading, he's using these words every time. And he trusts them. We turn to this book because it actually matters. Because this book says things like, love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your souls, with all your strength. Seek God and his kingdom first, right? Like that's the kind of stuff that we do. And we do battle with ourselves every single day. We, we become mindful of ourselves and our motivations and, and our attitudes and our passions and our feelings, all of that stuff. We have to pay very close attention to what's going on inside of ourselves. We ask Jesus to, to actually come into our lives and help us root out the sin that's in us so Satan has less material to work with when he comes to us, right? Like that's what we do. Folks, take this book seriously. Seriously, right? Like, take it seriously. Actually open it and read it and study it and make sense with it and struggle with it and disagree with it and pray to God with it. Like use this book and take this book and know it so well that it actually goes inside of you and it becomes part of who you are. You want to battle Satan. You want to keep Satan far away from you. That's what you do. That's what we do. One more thing. And this is paramount, guys. We have to realize that beating Satan, like winning the war against Satan in our world, is not our battle to win. It's not. It's not. In fact, the battle is basically already over. You know, when Jesus went to a cross and he died on the cross, he, he did so to forgive us of our sins. But more was happening there than just that, actually. A lot's happening at the cross. There's a moment where someone puts a crown of thorns on Jesus' head and they mock him. and They say, ha, 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 King Jesus. And what they didn't realize in that moment is at the cross, Jesus actually became king of this world. King over all things. If Satan is the prince of darkness in this world, Jesus is now the king of this world and that makes a difference that matters in our world. And when Jesus rose from the grave, 
he defeated death. And one day, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to return. And like flicking a gnat off your arm, Satan will be dealt with. And it will be by Jesus. Amen? Amen. You know, I love how 1 John puts it. Uh, 1 John 3.8 says this. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. It's the second half though. Listen to this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to what? Destroy the devil's work. And folks, Jesus has already appeared. He already has. The devil's work is on its way out. It is being destroyed before our very eyes. The battle is nearly over. Our role in all of this is to trust Jesus. Put your faith in him. Read this book. Make it a part of you. Make it deep inside of you. Trust Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's what you do. Amen? Let's pray. God, we recognize that there is an evil something out there and it doesn't lurk all that far away from us if we're honest with ourselves. It lurks in our pride, in our attitude, in our motivations. And God, we recognize that it's on that large scale. It's in governments, in power, in politics, in plagues, in all of that, God. There's something dark going on there as well. God, we ask that, that you give us the eyes to see it, to see that the devil is certainly wreaking havoc in this world. God, we pray that you would, you would cleanse us, you would purify us, so that Satan has less to work with when he comes around our neighborhood. God, give us the power to read your word, to make it a part of us, to make it part of our inner being so that when we breathe out, we breathe out the word of God. It's our greatest tool against the enemy. And God, we thank you for King Jesus, that Satan may be a prince, but we have a king, and that means something. So we thank you for that. That's great news, God. Pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let me leave you the blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace, church. Amen.